came expecting a blessing this morning and prayerful that God will do something in your heart. It's always a privilege to have Brother Crow with us and uh, to hear his passion for the Word of God. And Brother Crow, I hope you have great liberty in the in the pulpit. I'll just mention that this evening, following the evening service, there will be a fellowship uh, tonight. So the preaching will be good, the food will be good, and I uh, hope you'll join us for the 6 o'clock service as well. Brother Crow, come preach for us. Well, good morning. It's good to see you all this morning. If you would find the book of Philippians in your Bibles, please. The book of Philippians in the Word of God. I will encourage you, if, if uh, this is in, of any interest to you, I don't know, but I plan to preach a different message in the morning service than what I'm preaching today in the 8.30 service. So if you have had enough of Evangelist Paul Crow and don't want to come back at the 11 o'clock or whenever it is, a later service, that's fine. Just don't tell anybody, okay? Just keep it to yourself. And don't let anybody else know, all right? But I will be preaching a different message at that time. Philippians chapter 3 is where we are. Please direct your attention to verse 17. Would you do that? Philippians 3 and verse 17. The scripture says, Brethren... Be followers together of me, and mark them which walk, so as ye have us for an example. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. For our Conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Help us this morning, Father, in this early service. I pray for the filling and power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, I have a truth to get across that I want to be a help and a blessing to folks. And I pray, Lord, that you would just use it in our lives today. In Jesus' name, amen. This is a fascinating passage of Scripture because it talks about the way you and I live on a day-by-day basis as we're on this earth. Notice verse 17, the Bible says, Be followers together of me, and mark them which ye have us, so as ye have us for an example. An example. So the Apostle Paul is telling these people, you're to live a certain way, and you are to, you are to find some people that uh, you can pattern your life after. And if you, if you need help with that, he says, I want you to, to use us as your pattern. And then people whose life follows us, then you can follow them. Now, I want to ask you this morning, do you, first of all, have a pattern that you're following spiritually? And second of all, are you the kind of person who can be a pattern to follow spiritually? Well, that's a great question. Uh, there's a lot of people today, we've, got, we've been through in our movement, we've been through a time when we kind of held preachers up on a pedestal. I'm not necessarily in favor of that. And then, uh, then now we want to, we a lot of folks want a preacher that's just an every, everyday, ordinary guy and that kind of thing. And I'm not necessarily against that either. But I, I will say this, there is Bible principle and Bible precedent for you finding a person and saying, by the grace of God, I'm going to be like that person in my daily decisions. There's nothing wrong with that. As a matter 
of fact, God enjoins us to just that thing. The Bible says there's a lot of bad examples. Verse 18, For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, the Bible says, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Now, I don't know that that's a problem necessarily with the group of people gathered before me this morning, but let me just say there's a lot of things that go under the name of ministry out there. And they're not all necessarily good. Just because a person has a television ministry doesn't mean that you should allow yourself to be overly influenced by that person. Just because they have a radio ministry doesn't mean you should swallow everything that they say. I don't know that I'm looking at a crowd that's primarily influenced by podcasts, but that's a problem today. There are people, somebody has a podcast on the internet, and everybody wants to lap up everything they say. Be careful. Be careful. As a matter of fact, you would not hurt your spiritual growth at all if the only teaching and preaching that you ever allowed yourself to hear came from the Lighthouse Baptist Church. You wouldn't hurt yourself. Now, some of you may have some radio teachers that you may listen to. My dad has some. He likes to listen to Adrian Rogers. And, uh, you know, Adrian Rogers... uh, He's not going to go wrong today because he's in glory. So <laughs> we don't have to worry about that aspect. But uh, man, Adrian Rogers was a King James Bible preacher. And boy, he said some things that are just are a, a blessing to your heart and uh, and all of that. And he's with the Lord today. He's not going to steer you, steer you wrong. I don't know. But uh, and that you may have some people like that too. And you may be the place where you have some discernment. Where you can, as we say, eat the meat and spit out the bones. But I will tell you, you just better be careful. You better let God be true and every man a liar and you better weigh everything that you hear on the basis of the word of God. Now, this is not a new problem. There was a problem in Paul's day. The Bible says in verse 18, many walk of whom I've told you often and now tell you even weeping. They're the enemies of the cross of Christ. And then, boy, I love, Pastor Bishop, I love verse 19. The Bible says that the word of God is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. You see, there are a lot of people that say, well, you can't judge people's motives. (laughs) Well, fasten your seatbelt because the Word of God is fixing to do just that. Look at verse 19. Whose end is destruction. You ever get like Asaph and look around and say, man, it just seems like the wicked are prospering on every hand. You ever get that way? Let's just remember in the house of God this morning, the end of those people is destruction. Okay? Let's not be envious at the foolish when we see the prosperity of the wicked. Let's remember their end is destruction. All right, now, here we go. Whose God is their belly. (laughs) Wow. Well, we don't use that, we don't use that kind of terminology today. What does it mean? It means that they are consumed with pleasing themselves. That's what it means. We we would use the word today in the psychologically soaked world that we're living in, and everybody's got a therapist today, it seems, but we would use the word narcissism today. Well, we find that all over the place. What does it mean? It means their God is their belly. They're consumed with themselves. It's all about me. I want it. I want life to be full of me. I have never in my life seen a group of people that are so more consumed with themselves than we are today. Oh, I could give you all kinds of examples of it. Uh, we were at the Grand Canyon. My family was. I was preaching in Arizona, so we took a trip to the Grand Canyon, and we're walking along the South Rim. And uh, you know, as an evangelist, you only have so much time every 
everywhere you go. That's just the way it is. I only have so much time in this service. Then I only have so much time in Sunday school. I only have so much time in Northern Virginia. And then I got to get on a plane. I only have so much time there. And on and on and on it goes. So I only had so much time. So uh, I'm always wrangling my family like a herd of cattle, you know. Keep moving, 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 as the old song said. Come on, y'all. We got we to gotta get in four miles on this desert trail before we got to jump in the truck and race off to the next engagement. I, it's hard to wrangle your family along the trail when there are 50 people with selfie sticks. <laughs> and they gotta take, they gotta take 19 selfies in every spot. This is the thought that comes to my mind. The wind is blowing here. If your hair wasn't in place on the last selfie, it's not gonna be in place on the next one. But what are we doing? We're trying to get the right picture and the right angle and the right lighting and all this so that it can look good online. And it's a farce. I mean, it's a farce. And, and, and it's all, a, it's all a, me, a me culture. And I'm not necessarily opposed to taking a selfie. But do you really need to fill your phone on one trip with selfies? It just, it just blows my mind. I think to myself, why don't you turn the camera around and look at the biggest hole on planet Earth? Because it's pretty impressive, I gotta tell you. I'm, I'm, if I'm going to the Grand Canyon, I sure don't want 19,000 selfies of me and not take one picture of the rock formation in front of me. But that's the kind of culture we're living in. Their God is their belly. Alright, now, wait a minute. Their God is their belly whose glory is in their shame. What do we see that today? They want to glory in their shame. When I was a boy, I used to enjoy NBA basketball. Not so much anymore, but when I was a boy, I enjoyed it. There's a basketball player that I used to follow who wrote a book entitled, and I quote, Bad as I want to be. Bad as I want to be. Their glory is in their shame. But then watch this. Who mind earthly things. Now, it's easy for you and I to think of people who fit these descriptions, but they're not us. We can think about people whose uh, end is destruction, but that's not us. We can think about people whose God is their belly, but that's not us. We can think about people whose glory is in their shame, but that's not us. But then the Bible says they mind earthly things. Can I tell you something? With this last phrase, the Bible brings it down to where many independent Baptists happen to live. You see, there's a lot of people that are going to show up to an independent Baptist church on Sunday morning. They're going to tip their hat to God for the week. And the rest of the time, they're going to be consumed with the things of this life instead of the things of the next life. Now, I understand you got to work a job. I understand there are things that you got to do. But I want to ask you something. When you, go to the, when you go to work on Tuesday morning, are you still concerned about serving God? When you go to work on Wednesday and Thursday, and it's, got, it's a long way from Sunday, and uh, are you still concerned with uh, pleasing God with what you do? The Bible says the problem with these people, the reason they're so shameful, the reason they're in this destruction, the reason their God is their belly, is that they're all consumed and all worked up about earthly things. Now... Now we're going to get to our text, all right? I've used a lot of time, but let's get to our text. Four, why do we uh, mark those that, uh, that walk so as you have us for an example? Why are we supposed to do that, all right? Verse 20, four, because our conversation is in heaven. 
from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus, who shall change our vile body. Now, I want to focus on that word and that concept, our conversation. When you use the word conversation, and when I use it today in the year 2022, we have a more narrow focus, a more narrow meaning of that word than what is used in the Word of God. When you speak of a conversation, you're referring to the words that come out of your mouth. And so am I. Oh, I had a conversation with this person. What does that mean? That means that we met maybe in a restaurant or maybe on the street or maybe in a park somewhere. That person talked to me. I talked to them. And we're, we're referring to the words that come out of our mouth as conversation. That is not the Bible meaning. Now, that idea is in the Bible term conversation. But the Bible term conversation is much, much broader than that. For example, the Bible speaks of our conversation, meaning our manner of life. So it would include not only the things that I say, but the habits that I employ on a regular basis. Here, however, in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20, we have an even broader meaning of the word conversation. Here, in Philippians 3 and verse 20, the word conversation encompasses everything about our lifestyle. It includes, it includes not only the things that I say, not only the things that I do, but it also includes the loyalties that I maintain. This word here emphasizes, it's a, it's actually the word from which we get our word politics. Okay, now, it's not saying that our politics are in heaven. Okay, there is no vote in heaven. You understand that? When, when Jesus comes to reign, the, there will be no more voting ads. Okay? Amen. Ever. <laughs> and you can, we can all say praise God for that, right? Now, and when I was a boy, I remember they used to tell you why you should vote for them. Now a lot of the voting ads tell you why you should not vote for the other guy. And it begs the question, well, who should I vote for then? Because you're not so honest yourself. But anyway, I, I, I digress. The, the, the Bible is not saying that our politics are in heaven, but this word from which we get our word politics includes our citizenship. It includes our allegiances. So if my greatest allegiance is in heaven, if my citizenship is in heaven, if my, the words that I say ought to at least have something to do with heaven, and the things that I do ought to have something to do with heaven, what does that make heaven for me? It makes it home, doesn't it? You see, heaven is my home. That's what Paul is saying. Now, I want to consider that concept this morning in the time we have left. If heaven is my home, what does it mean for me? I want to submit to you that if heaven is my home, it will show up in my affection. Let me ask you, do you love home? Now, I'm looking at some people, and your home, presumably in northern Virginia, your home has changed dramatically over the course of your lifetime. Maybe I'm talking to some people where used to, your home was a little on the edge of the country. It's not the edge of the country anymore. I mean, the entire world is moving to northern Virginia. 
It used to be that it was a rustic setting. You remember when the road coming past your house was only two lanes now. And you remember when people still spoke a, a form of English, the English language. Now you've got Muslims and you've got uh, Africans and you've got, you've got all kinds. I mean, the world is coming to Northern Virginia, it seems. Right. And, your, and, and what, is, what is known as your uh, home physically has changed. But I want to ask you something. Isn't, isn't there still a little bit of affection toward the old home place? I know there is for me. There's for me, I, uh, I have, uh, according to the bank and I have this situation, we're working it out, but I have a quarter of an acre that is mine. It's the banks and mine. You understand how that works. But uh, I'm, we're, we're working that out, and every month that goes by, I own more of it, and the bank owns less of it. That's the way it goes. We call that a mortgage. It's a French word meaning death. But anyway, uh, that's what I have. And so you, you all have been through that probably yourselves where there was a there was a time where you were owning it. I own a quarter of an acre on this big, great big planet called Earth. And you know what? Whenever I go back to my house, there are problems. I'm looking at having to do an, a complete bathroom remodel upstairs and downstairs. I got to do the remodel upstairs because there's a leak in the plumbing somewhere and that's causing the bathroom downstairs to fall apart. So I got to do both of them at one time. I, I'm not necessarily looking forward to that. But despite all of that, that place, that little spot in northwest Mississippi where I live is still home to me. And whenever I announce to my family, hey, we're going home, there's something that arises in their heart, a little bit of a love for home. I want to submit to you, there are two reasons why we love our home, two aspects of home that cause us to love home here on this, on this earth. I believe that the place, to, it, it causes us to love home a little bit. Now, when I go to my home in Mississippi, I, I love country settings, but my home in Mississippi is not a country setting. I mean, it's, uh, it's not quite, it's not quite as crazy as, with the traffic as it is in Northern Virginia, but the traffic is crazy. When I first moved there 10 years ago, it took me about six minutes to get to church. Now it takes me 15, and I haven't, the distance hasn't changed. It's just the amount of people, it's just the traffic, it's just the, that's just part of it. But still, there's something in my heart that I love to go home. I love the, I love the familiarity of the surroundings. I love the workshop in the back. I love the, I love the smell of the, uh, the, the sight of the, of the hollies and the, and my backyard when they're in bloom in December. And sometimes we get an ice storm and it's just so beautiful and picturesque with the ice covering the red berries and the, and the green leaves on the holly. And I, I love that. I love the, I love the magnolia trees that are blooming all around the state tree of Mississippi. I, I love the place. And you know what? The Bible gives us a few, uh, a few lessons, a few glimpses into the place that will be your home and in mine. The Bible tells us about a place that has a street of gold. They talk in the United States today about, a, about an infrastructure and uh, uh, putting money into the infrastructure of this country. I'm going to tell you it's a big need. As someone who has traveled now in full-time evangelism for over 20 years, the roads of this country have never been in worse shape than they are today. It's just a fact. It's just a fact. I drive them. I know what it's like. Uh, it's my trailer falling apart because you you built a you planted a tree in the pothole instead of fixing it. You know, and that's that's just the way it goes. Um, but the truth is, the Bible speaks of a, of a place where the street is of gold. Wow. I'm informed that the price of gold is probably going to go up. That's what I'm told. Because the price of everything else is going up, 
except the price of your stock. It's going down. And in the time when the stocks go down, gold goes up. That's what I'm told. And so here on this earth, we value gold, but not so much in our home, not so much in heaven. God says, I'm using it for pavement on the street. Then the Bible says there are walls of this city of Jasper. My walls are of rock. Drywall, gypsum, rock. That's what yours are too, block or brick or whatever. We use the cheapest of materials to make walls, but not in our home. God uses the most exotic of materials. Walls of jasper, the Bible talks about. The Bible talks about gates of pearl. You've never seen a pearl that big. I've never seen a pearl that big. Not far from where I live is a a museum of freshwater pearls. It's a novelty, but they pale in comparison to saltwater pearls. But wait a minute. All the pearls that you have ever seen pale in comparison to the pearls we see when we get home. Because when we get home, the gates of the city are of pearl. And so there are things about the place that cause us to love our home. But I think there's something else about home that causes us to love home, and that is the people that are there. Don't the people cause you to long for home? I've come to the place now in my lifetime where my family, my immediate family, is now being separated. They're, they're, I have two children in college, and, uh, and it's, just, it's, it's only going to be a matter of time, and they're, they're all going to be gone, and then I suppose we'll be an empty nest. But there's something that I can look forward to, and that is I can look forward to Christmas time. Because unlike any other time in my life, at Christmas time, everybody is going to be home. Now, in our family, that means that the piano will be going an average of 18 hours a day. Amen. Someone will be playing the piano. And, uh, and honestly, I've gotten to the place now where I think to myself, you know, uh, I don't know that I can take piano music 18 hours a day. This is not, you understand, this is not a concert. This is not a classical concert for 18 hours a day. This is piano practice. Now, piano practice is important in order to be able to give the concert. But it can drive a man to madness. <laughs> Why? Because it entails going over the same two measures 45 times until you get it right. Ah! Okay? And uh, and so there is that aspect when all of the people come home, and I suppose there will come a time when I say, okay, you're adults, get out! It was good to see you, but you got to leave again. But, But yet, it won't be long. Maybe by the middle of January, I'll begin to long for those people to be home once again. You know, home is home because of the people that are there. I want to ask you, do you have some people that have gone home before you? Sure you do. I thought, Pastor Bishop, I thought I was too young for this to happen. But in the last three years, every single year, I've lost a college friend. Now, I expected that might happen when I was in my 60s or maybe my 70s, but not in my 40s. I didn't expect to be in my 40s and, and to be able to stand and say, I've lost a college friend every single year for the last three years. That shocked me. But it's true. I think of my friend Bill Abbott. He was, a, he was recruited as a, as a college baseball player and also as a football player. He dropped dead uh, at 52 years of age. Gone. 
I, I thank the Lord he died in the saddle. He died faithful. There was no blot on his character. He died uh, serving at a, a Christian camp and bringing in boys and girls from all over the, all over the south, really, and uh, giving them the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was working. He said, you know what? Y'all just take care of this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to slip up to the trailer and just take a nap. He, t- he lay down in that trailer and woke up in the arms of Jesus. Amen. It was 2020. 2021, pastor friend of mine, 42 years old, Brooklyn, New York, he died in his sleep because of a congenital heart defect. Only God knew that he had it. But this, uh, this heart defect took him, took him in his sleep. He left uh, with seven children, I think, in a, in a church there. It's, it's a difficult time. We grieved. We mourned the loss of my friend. But now he's gone home. 2022, a, a person that I was in their wedding, uh, the, the, the wife, the husband and wife, but the wife had contracted cancer. Her cancer was completely defeated, they told her a couple years ago. But in 2022, it metastasized. It went into her bones. And now she's in the arms of the Lord Jesus. For the first time in her life, she's able to walk. She had spina bifida when she was younger and was unable to walk except with, uh, with, with uh, crutches and all of this. It was difficult for her to live. And yet she was a mother to, to I think, five boys and, uh, or maybe six. I can't remember. But at any rate, uh, she's now in the arms of the Lord Jesus. So there are people that are waiting for me on the other side. Early January 2020, I, I buried, or we, we were there at the service, I should say, we buried one of my converts, someone that was saved in one of my meetings. You say, Brother Paul, how do you know so much about it? Because she was saved at the age of 80. That doesn't happen a lot in my meetings, but it happened in this meeting. It happened and she, she came down, she walked the aisle on a, on, a, on a service that I was preaching in Indiana. I remember it because she was my grandmother. And I remember it because ever since I can remember anything happening in family devotions, I remember our family praying for her salvation. And she got saved in 2010. And God took her home in 2020 right before COVID burst upon the United States of America. But she's gone home. And I wonder to myself what it's going to be like to see those people again. What is it that gives me a longing and a desire for home? It's the people that are there. But most of all, there's the Lord Jesus. We could read about our home in the book of Revelation, and we could talk about all of that, and I'm sure you've read it before. We'll not do it in this message, but the Bible says in Revelation chapter 22 and verse 4, and they shall see His face. You know, honestly, it's hard for me to conceive of walls of jasper. It's hard for me to wrap my mind around a gate of pearl and a street of gold. I mean, I suppose I can a little bit conceptualize it. But when I see his face, that touches my heart. Amen. Because I wonder if that face is still going to be scarred with thorns. I wonder if that face is still going to show the signs of when it was once bruised for my transgressions. And you know, the more I think about seeing his face, the more I understand an affection for home. I want to ask you, where is your affection today? If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of of God. Set your affection 
on things above, not on things on the earth. Understand when heaven is your home, it affects your affection. I want you to consider number two. When heaven is your home, it demands your attention. When heaven is your home, it demands your attention. You have a home and uh, boy, there's some things that you got to do but at the old home place. Right now, I'm away from my home in Mississippi, and uh, you'll understand this, I suppose, better than some, but uh, in Mississippi, grass-cutting season is a long season. I mean, that grass just grows and grows and grows and grows. I preached a lot in the Southwest over the last 10 years at camp, and uh, I talked to, tried to use grass growing as an illustration. It totally went over their heads. They couldn't conceive of it. They say, well, Brother Paul, if your grass grows, you must water it a lot. No! You must put a lot of fertilizer on it. No. Why would I pay money to make my grass grow faster so I can turn around and cut it again? No. I have the the most uh, well-groomed patch of weeds in all of North Mississippi. But I, I cut it. And when I'm away, I've got to, it it still demands my attention because as it turns out, the city of Olive Branch doesn't like my grass to get really tall. I know because they have given me pieces of paper telling me that my grass is really tall. As it turns out, I have a city inspector that lives in the cul-de-sac. So the first thing that person sees when they come to the stop sign is my grass. That's kind of cheating. Because the guy two doors down, they ignore his grass. But because they see mine on the way to work, oh, I'm on the clock, let me write him up. Never gotten a fine, but I have gotten a little friendly reminders from the city saying, cut your grass, you bum. (laughs) So it demands my attention. I told you about a remodeling project. It demands my attention. Just finished remodeling the entire upstairs, building in, uh, uh, building a built-in uh, dressers in the in the children's rooms and so forth, putting new floors in and, and new paint and all of that. And oh, I mean, now that it's done, I can I can walk around and show you the pictures on my cell phone. Say, yeah, look at what I did here. But but the truth of the matter is, it was a lot of work. It's a lot of work. And every time I go home, when I go home, they're talking about uh, doing some more work. And uh, I've got other projects that I've got to do. There's always, uh, there's always things that are happening. And my wife t- takes offense because the windows are so old that when the wind blows, it blows the cold air straight through the window. And uh, I mean, people have been living with windows that way for hundreds of years. But as it turns out, my wife would like something that seals a little bit better. I suppose maybe that makes sense and uh, maybe those windows were okay when we first had them. But the truth is it demands my attention. Let me tell you something. You better pay attention to your heavenly home. You better understand there's some things that we're doing down here that's going to affect our heavenly home. This is the way Simon Peter put it in first and second Peter chapter one and verse 11. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So what does he say? There's different ways that you can enter your home. You can have an abundant entrance or you can have a not-so-abundant entrance. It's all dependent upon giving all diligence, Second Peter 1 and verse 5, and learning to grow in Jesus Christ, Second Peter 1 verses 5 through 10. That's what he's talking about. Now, that means that I better be paying attention and I better be working now to get some things ready for when I go home. It amazes me how that some people have accepted the philosophy, well, I'm just basically going to sit on the rocker and wait for Jesus to come back. Can I tell you, that's that's not the right attitude. It's not the right attitude. 
I own, I own two homes, essentially. One is on wheels. It's an RV. My, our RV is now seven year, it's going on seven years old, which is ancient for an evangelist trailer, okay? If you're ever thinking about buying an RV and you find one that an evangelist once owned, <laughs> do not buy. Do not under any circumstances buy. If the evangelist was Dwight Smith, especially do not buy, okay? Do not buy, all right? If, if, don't buy my trailer. I, I've sold one trailer in my life. I sold it to the insurance company because they totaled it. I figured they owed me after all the premiums I paid. But uh, listen, don't buy them. Why? Because there's always upkeep. One person put it to me this way. He said, well, he said, Mr. Crow, if you weren't born with a wrench in your hand, don't get an RV. Truer words were never spoken. Why? Because that home demands my attention. It, listen, if heaven is our home, it ought to demand our attention while we live here. You're not there yet. I'm not there yet. But home demands our attention if it's really home. Now, the hotel that I'm living in, it doesn't demand so much attention because it's not, it's, I'm, I'm just staying there for a little while. But it, it's not mine, it's not my home. Not like the house that I own in Mississippi or not like the trailer that I'm going back to when I leave Northern Virginia. But we understand that heaven, uh, that home demands our attention. I want you to consider something else. I want you to consider that home affects our attitude. Home affects our attitude. Now, I've been, I've been traveling for a long time, and so sometimes it's hard for me to define exactly where home, what, what, it, what does it mean to be home? I mean, I have a group of people that I love to have around me, and they're, they're, having them around makes just about anywhere home. But what does it mean? What does it mean to, 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 to have a home? Well, I do know this. I'm in many different places where there's a lot of things going on that just don't begin to bother me because it's not home. For example, this, this uh, spring, I flew into Custer, South Dakota. Custer, South Dakota, like many places in the in many pockets of, of conservative West, places particularly that are very beautiful to live in, Custer, South Dakota has, has experienced an influx of people. Perhaps you've heard that people are fleeing California by the droves. They are because a lot of them are getting starved out. I have some dear friends that are that way. And so as they're fleeing California, they, they, they don't often want to come east. They don't want to come all the way there unless they move to Florida. But uh, they, they want to find somewhere that's beautiful and picturesque because California is many things, but one of them is beautiful and picturesque. It's a beautiful place to live. So they're looking around and they're finding other places in the United States that are beautiful to live. Well, Custer, South Dakota happens to be one of them. There's the Black Hills there. It's, uh, it's, it's kind of, for being as far north as it is, it's kind of mild uh, as winters go because of the, the hills and different things that are going on. And so they're looking in, in that direction. So what does it mean for the people in South Dakota? It means their property taxes have soared. Their property taxes have doubled and tripled and in some cases perhaps quadrupled. And, uh, and the state of South Dakota is saying, okay, this is a cash cow. We can take the money that we earn in property taxes here and we can use it to subsidize the three people in this county that don't have a decent public school to go to because there's only three people in the county. There's that in, in South Dakota. Well, when I was in South Dakota, the residents of Custer, South Dakota did not feel that was right. They were upset. 
So here I am, I'm there and I'm preaching in a, in a weeknight service and there's people that come into the service and they're all hot under the collar. Well, we went to this meeting and oh, we raised our voice in opposition. We shouldn't have to pay property taxes that are higher to subsidize other parts of the state. That's not right at all. They were so upset about it. Didn't bother me though. Because it wasn't my home. My home was a long ways away. I was just passing through South Dakota. I enjoy it. It's beautiful. I certainly enjoy the people. But at the end of the day, I'm not buying real estate in South Dakota because it's not my home. I'm just passing through. I want to tell you, I have never seen a day in all of my ministry when the Lord's people are so distracted by political events in the United States of America. Now, I want to tell you, I'm grateful that we have a situation like we have. What do I mean by that? Well, if you live in Russia and you don't like some of the things that are going on, you better not voice your protest. If you live in China and you don't like the things that are going on, you better not voice your protest because that could be very, very dangerous for you. And we Americans have a right to complain, but uh, boy, we're sure exercising that right. But let me tell you what's bothering me even more. If heaven is my home, and if I'm just passing through on this earth, I need to be a little bit calmer about things that are going on on this earth and be a little bit more consumed about things that affect eternity. Does that make sense? Pastor, I see all kinds of people who are bent out of shape three ways from Sunday over what's going on politically in this country. And you know what? There's some bad things going on politically in this country. There are. There's some things that I scratch my head and think, no, that's not good. There's some things that, uh, that they, I, I find out about it and think, man, I wish I hadn't known that. But you know, I went to, I went to a, a historic place in Arizona, Tombstone, Arizona. And in the 1880s, in Tombstone, Arizona, this is back in the 1880s, okay, the, the Democratic Party, this is a matter of public record, the Democratic Party in the 1880s in Arizona was falsifying numbers so that they could win seats of power. That was happening in the 1880s, okay? I'm not saying the Democratic Party is doing that today. Maybe they are, maybe they aren't. That's not my point. My point is, there has always been hanky-panky in the government levels. As a matter of fact, I went through the Word of God and I began to ask myself, what hero of the Scripture could be proud of their political environment? Suppose Daniel was proud of his political environment? I don't think so. Now, how about the Apostle Paul? Uh, Let's see, Nero? Uh, No, probably not. Probably not. As a matter of fact, I, I can think of very, very few heroes of the Scripture that could, be, that could be pleased and could be grateful for their political environment. And yet, they serve God anyway. And yet, their eyes were on the things of heaven. And yet, their focus was on something above and greater than this earth. 
And I think to myself as I go into church after church after church in the year 2022, if heaven is my home, if that's where my ultimate destination is, then there are things about this earth, yes, they're wrong, yes, they're sad, yes, I, if I can do something, I should, but I cannot, I, I can't get all worked up, I can't get all wrapped up in it. It certainly has no business robbing me of my joy, and it certainly has no business robbing me of my focus on the things that are true and the things that are right. I think if we spent half as much time trying to lead people to Christ as we do figuring out the latest political scandal, we'd have a whole lot more people saved. Amen. <laughs> I think if we spent half as much time uh, worrying, uh, worrying about discipling people after they get saved as we do about, about stuff that one political party or another political party has done, we, we'd see a whole lot more people stick in our churches. I know culture has changed. We live in the era of the 24-hour news cycle. But I'm just saying if heaven is our home and our conversation is in heaven, it seems like we'd be putting a lot more effort there than we are things on this earth. I'm not going to pick up a real estate brochure while I'm in Northern Virginia. I think Northern Virginia is beautiful as far as the landscape is concerned. Uh, There's a lot of people in this church and in other churches here in Northern Virginia. I love them. I appreciate them. Enjoy them. But I'm just passing through. And can I tell you, if you know Christ as Savior, you're just passing through too. That's right. Don't we remember the old song? Now, we don't get our doctrine from songs, but don't we remember the old song? This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. Let me just say, if heaven is your home, then it ought to affect some some ways that we live today. You ought to study this word in the word of God, pilgrim. It's a great concept. The book of 1 Peter uses it. I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims. What does it mean? It means this is not my home. Heaven is my home. Now I'm happy to say to you tonight, uh, this morning, if you're not sure that heaven is your home, heaven can be your home today. Because the ticket was bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. And if you have never been saved, you can be saved today. You come to us. You ask us. We'll be glad to open a Bible. We'll show you what the Bible has to say about salvation. We'll hear what your understanding is, and we'll compare your understanding with the Word of God. And uh, we'll, just, we'll just have you to understand what the Bible says. We believe at the Lighthouse Baptist Church, if you're going to get to God's heaven, you can only get there God's way, and God's way is found in God's Word. It's just as simple as that. I'm not going to give you my opinions, and the pastor's not going to give you his. But we will open a Bible, and we will show you what the Bible has to say. And if heaven is not your home today, it can be your home. But if heaven is your home, is the way you're currently living reflecting that fact? Father, thank you so much for the Word of God. Thank you for how it can speak to our hearts. And thank you, Lord, that our conversation, everything about our life, 
is in heaven. And now we pray and we ask, Lord, that you would, that you would work in, in hearts today. Lord, there's a, there's a big day planned today, the start of the revival meeting. And Lord, there will be evening services in, uh, both this evening and in the, in the nights to come. Father, I pray that through it all, that this overarching reality, that this world is not my home, but heaven is my home. I pray that it would govern our thought patterns. I pray that it would govern what we do, what we think, what we say. Lord, I pray that every day you would increase our affection for home. You would increase our attention toward home. And you would impact our attitude with home. I want to ask that we stand to our feet, please, this this morning. Can we do that, everyone standing? The pianist is going to play a song of invitation. I just, I just want to give you a chance to, to do business with God. Maybe it is that God has spoken to your heart and you realize, you know, I told the pastor today, or yesterday, I told him yesterday, I said a lot of these news people, they're, they're peddling in anger. They want me to be angry. They want me to be frustrated. And they want me to be upset. They want to do the, the same to you. But when I come into the Word of God, I realize there's not, not a cause for anger. There's a cause for joy. There's not a cause for me to be upset. I read this morning in my devotions to you who are troubled, rest with us. God doesn't want me to be troubled. He wants me to rest because of what's really going on in my home and in yours. We're just going to have the pianist play a verse of invitation.